0: Imagine you are standing on the side of a countryside road talking to a man selling t-shirts out of the back of his van. You agree to buy your favorite rock band t-shirt from him but realize you don't have the cash to pay for it. He smiles at you, pulls out his iPhone and swipes your credit card through a white block attached to his phone. This is how Square's point-of-sale system has enabled Not just entrepreneurs to kickstart their business, but also millions of other businesses to scale up, save costs, and provide a better customer experience. Square, which is a fintech startup based in San Francisco, has recognized this need and built a product that disrupted the industry. Starting from local coffee shops, they've brought their product to large businesses like SAP. The U.S. merchant payment landscape is undergoing a period of rapid technology-driven change. Square changed the game in the micro-merchant segment through their innovative self-service distribution and seamless connectivity. Today's guest, David Talak, is the head of product at Square. He dives into the complexities of the traditional payment system and how point-of-sale terminals today have simplified this process for businesses. Businesses no longer need to worry about navigating the network of banks and credit card companies. Accepting payments today is easier than the click of a button. In fact, it is as easy as the swipe of a card. Derek, you are the head of product for payments at Square. Welcome to Fintech Daily.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for making the time. Look forward to the conversation.
0: So Square was started in 2009, and if I've heard this correctly, one of the reasons Square was founded was Jim McKelvey's struggle to accept a credit card payment for a piece of art he created. So tell us, what was so different back then, and why was it difficult for small businesses to accept credit card payments?
1: Yeah, I don't think Jim's story is all that particularly unique. I think it was an unmet need of many individuals that were largely operating in cash or who frankly weren't included into the economy. So I think what Square really did back in its founding is it's really about ease of acceptance and including more people into that ability. When you looked at what it took to start accepting credit cards, it was just too much friction. And a lot of people either because of not having the time or just not wanting to you know, have to go through the hassle, it was just too difficult when a seller wanted to become a seller not only do they have to figure out how to be incorporated or how to actually create the product and figure out who their customers are but to actually accept credit cards they had to go through formal underwriting there was multiple steps and as crazy as it sounds often a fax machine was involved to potentially send across statements to an acquiring bank What's interesting about the timing of Square is when you think about when this kind of happened, it was during you know, the iPhone and kind of the app revolution, and a lot of things we take for granted are now you know now about on demand. And so it wasn't as easy as downloading an app to accept credit cards, it was far from that. And so the biggest breakthrough here was really just making the act of accepting a credit card and, and the process of becoming a seller, just making it things that we somewhat take for granted today, like self-serve, making it simple, making it remarkable, and the iPhone made it mobile, our little white reader made it elegant, and really we, to some degree, it is so simple and straightforward that it is the new paradigm of how payments should be accepted.
0: So you talk about this whole process, which has become easier, and I want to you know, talk about some terms that we all hear in this payment processing system. So let's use an example. Say I quit my job and I open a coffee shop in Scotland. Let's assume you like coffee and you come into my shop and place an order. Now you have a visa credit card issued by, say, Bank of America, and I have a bank account with Chase and I use... Square to charge you for coffee. So explain to us what is happening in the back while we do this. You know, what are these terms like issuing bank or the acquiring bank or Visa and MasterCard and where does Square fit in?
1: Yeah, exactly. Great question. The most important thing about payments is never missing a sale. So what that infers is there's a compatibility that needs to take place between all the cards that are issued and all the potential sellers that are out there. And so we need to make sure that regardless of whether you're a, you know, a bank A, a bank B, or a bank C, regardless of the country that you're in, that that card, whether it be a mobile wallet, whether it be a contactless card or a chip or a magstripe card, whatever it may be that you as the consumer or the buyer are able to use that payment method or instrument at whatever particular seller. And so to your question, I think you already used some terms there that are valuable is decomposing this into as a buyer or consumer the card that you have physically in your hand or in your wallet or digital wallet is issued to you by an issuing bank so in my personal case you know wells fargo is one of the banks that i use i would be having a wells fargo card that was that is the issuing bank right that mm-hmm. card is processed at a square point of sale software of which gets acquired And basically from the acquiring process is we then are able to route that back to the issuing bank to see if Dave Tallick, the Wells Fargo instrument, has funds that are available and if it's authorized. So, again, really to boil this down to its simplest terms is A, never missing a sale, and B, ensuring that any issuing bank or issuing instrument, that the point of sale software or acquiring side is able to route that request back to the issuing bank to complete that loop to make sure that there's authorization and settlement of those funds.
0: Okay. So if I see this correctly, there is the acquiring bank and the issuing bank. And you know I can think of Visa and MasterCard as the pipelines between them. And Square then is closer to the seller where you're a kind of authorizing these payments and making sure the person has the right credit, is capable of making that payment. And then you're communicating between these two parties and the pipes that exist in between. Is that a fair description?
1: That's a very fair description, and I appreciate the call out on the importance of the card networks. I wouldn't necessarily categorize them as pipes, but it is a shared scheme or, or a logic that enables all those issuing banks and acquiring banks to be able to talk to each other. So that is a fair assessment.
0: Gotcha. And if you know, if we take this example and I want to understand what was the pain point that Square solved, it seems like you're coming in between and you're solving this problem where as a seller, I don't need to worry about communicating that authorization or authentication of the card user that I'm charging for my transaction.
1: Yeah, I think it goes above and beyond that. So, you know, they're definitely in the act of selling or providing a service, definitely one of the table stakes or core things that has to happen is the facilitation of the funds. And so, you know, the issuing bank and the card network and the acquiring bank is indeed Square orchestrating that and managing that payment complexity on behalf of the seller. There's definite value in there. But I also want to call out the importance of what can you build on top of that simple facilitation of a good or service. And that's where above and beyond payments, I would start to think about additional concepts as employees and customers and items and discounts. And also, how do you learn from the interactions between those data sets or said otherwise? How does a seller log into like a square dashboard and be able to figure out not only what transactions occurred and how to refund, but also how to maybe figure out what items to stock and what time to transact or what locations to be at?
0: Mm -hmm. And so you take all this information at your terminal or at the square register. I'm curious, what is the depth of information that you get and store at your end or with the merchant? And do you cache this authentication information on your end or do you go back to verify this from the main network every time there is a card swipe?
1: Yeah, I think the easiest way, you know, data... Answers can get complicated. So I think the easiest way I would answer this is, there's essentially two buckets. One would be the data that is required to facilitate the transaction and to ensure good funds or in order to manage fraud or to optimize authorization. So there is a data set there around ensuring and rendering the payments service. That could be encrypting the payload of the cardholder information. That could be validating some secondary form of authorization that could be looking for likelihood of an authorization versus a decline. Uh, That's one category. The second category would be really back to enabling sellers to sell. There is data that square sellers store with us, whether it be their employee permissions or whether it be their items or their catalog, you know, whatever data that we render in our square analytics dashboard for sellers is a separate data set that we also manage really to the benefit of the square seller to figure out how their business is operating.
0: And so the information of the data out of this, which is, I would say, kind of in the personal information of the end user, do you have like encryption in place to store that? How does that work on your end?
1: Yeah, totally. So whenever talking about security, generally, there are wildly accepted best practices that most tech and internet-based companies adopt whether that be encryption, whether that be SSL, whatever it may be, there's a robust set of commonly accepted principles or two-factor authentication. What's unique about payments and financial technology is there are additional standards above and beyond those best practices that are put in place for payments and for financial institutions. So there are additional standards such as EMVCO, PCI, Payment Card Holder Information, so it, it is a, like any good security approach, fundamentally layered like an onion. And because we are dealing with payments information, obviously there's some additional due diligence and regulated due diligence that has to take place. And of course, all of those are table stakes in terms of simply prevent, you know, they're all table stakes in simply rendering the baseline core experience of accepting a payment.
0: So it's interesting you bring up security because I was curious, you know, you might be transmitting some of this payment information over the internet. So do some of these, you know, security policies that you just mentioned also ensure how you maintain the security of this connection? And, you know, are there other major security concerns that you look at on your end?
1: Yeah, totally there are. And I think, you know, concern is a good word because while there is no Key reason for concern, it's important to always be concerned and always be mindful of doing the right things here and monitoring. So for us, we do apply a multi-tiered approach, as I mentioned. We do have special implementations above and beyond even what is regulated or mandated. So we do have, without saying too much, you know, something as simple as you start with something as simple as SSL implementation. But you might want to layer on top of that some special in your firmware that is allowing you to encrypt at the point of swipe so that no raw information is even going through SSL. You may want to establish some type of handshaking between multiple devices so that you can validate the authenticity of the Square components. And that's probably the extent that I can share with how we do it without getting folks too concerned about an oversharing. But I think the key thing is, is, yes, it is something that you always have to be mindful of. It's one of these things that people just expect will work. And when it doesn't, it doesn't. And we need to be mindful that that's never the case. And so not only is there commonly accepted best practices, and not only are there financial technology and payment standards, but there's also just additional intellectual property and special implementations that can be done on top of that again to further increase the security of the overall implementation. The other last thing that I'll add and probably need to stop here is is active monitoring as well. It's one thing to, you know, enable strong defenses, but it's another to actively monitor those so that you're aware as a system is being flexed or pushed or probed.
0: That's quite comforting to know, <laughs> you know, with all the news you hear these days. But jumping gears a bit, in this entire flow of payment, how does Square make money?
1: Yeah. So to answer that outright, we charge 2.75% per transaction. The Most of that, the majority of that actually goes, as you alluded to, to our supply chain. So that would be the issuing bank. As you know, reward cards are very popular right now. So quite a few of those basis points, if you will, are actually paying for those reward cards or going back to the issuing bank. Some of it goes to the card networks, as you alluded to. The remaining basis points does go to square on a per transaction basis. And because we are a relatively young company, right now our investment philosophy is putting a lot of those basis points back into the business, whether that be building new hardware, or building new software, or building new verticalized solutions. The key thing though is it is 2.75 per transaction, no application fee, no monthly minimums, free to get started. There's no hardware out of pocket, and you can start and stop with a simply choosing to swipe or not swipe.
0: So you said some of this 2.75 that you charge goes to the issuing bank and the network in there. So I could be wrong about this, but from what I know, the merchant discount rate is the fee that the bank network and the credit card network could charge and mm-hmm. is right now capped by the financial regulators. So is this 2.75 that you talk about on top of that fee that a credit card charges per transaction or is oh, I
1: yeah, okay, I understand. So I heard MD, and that was in reference to merchant discount right. or merchant discount. Rate. Uh-huh. So to you correctly stated merchant discount rate is a fintech payment jargon for the rate that it costs to accept a single transaction, regardless of whether you paid for the hardware or paid for the software. It generally accepted it as like, how much did it cost for that transaction? So The first thing I'd call out is that not all merchant discount rates are created equal. That would be the first thing I would call out because sometimes you have to pay for a thousand dollar piece of hardware. Sometimes you lease the hardware. Sometimes you have to pay a monthly application fee. And oftentimes companies can quote low, quote unquote, low merchant discount fees, but either charge through some other method or charge for unqualified transactions where particular transactions are higher. And so the first thing is just to call out, and I have to make this point clear that a merchant discount rate, they're not all created equal. And we believe it's incredibly important for pricing to be transparent and easy to understand, hence why we try to take a clear position on 2.75 across the board, across all card types with no hidden fees or Hardware application fees. That's, I think, the first point I would make. The second point is there are nuances to the cost of accepting each particular transaction that are probably, I will attempt to, but are probably difficult to articulate well. And I think the two things I would call out to keep it concise is every card has a different cost associated with it. There are, if you look at your credit card, and you, you, know, you and the listeners may pull out your credit card, if you look, there are different rewards. Sometimes it's a Visa Infinite, sometimes it says Visa Signature. There are different levels and different types of cards. There's also different rates charged to us based on MCC or merchant category. So if it's a Capital One high rewards or a Wells Fargo or Fargo medium rewards at a petroleum versus retail, There's n set of permutations of how much that costs a square to be able to facilitate that transaction. So pricing right now is anything from clear and transparent. And that's why we like transforming it into something simple. The second thing, and I'll probably stop here, is there was some regulation that changed that basically altered the cost of debit transactions to be a fixed fee versus percentage which made transactions more expensive for coffee shops, but lower costs for higher ticket items. Again, the beauty of Square, or what I like to think objectively is the beauty of Square, is we normalize all of that variance in cost, and we simplify all those permutations and complexity into a simple, singular, straightforward, transparent 2.75
0: rate yeah that's very interesting to hear, and you know when you think about this two point seven five rate and I look at some of these other players like Stripe and PayPal offer very similar services, do you think it will lead to a price war in the future, or do you think there will be competition based on some of these add-on features that you mentioned at the beginning of our call?
1: Yeah, well, I mean first thing is mimicry is the highest form of of flattery. <laughs> You know, 2.75 was game changing at its time. And there's other products that have followed suit, whether it be Mm -hmm. mobile hardware or getting started for free. I think our take really honestly is there is an incredible opportunity in front of all of us. And I mean that as authentically as I can, there is still a lot of cash transactions out there. There are still a lot of people who are excluded from the economy. There's a lot of people that wish they could do something on the side or do a side hustle or a hobby. And to the extent that, you know, there are people or companies such as Square or Stripe or Braintree or whoever it may be, or PayPal, who together in competing, work together in transforming financial technology, I'm all for that. Nothing would give me more pride than for me to sleep at night. Now to answer your question directly, if it it creates commoditization, I don't know. I wouldn't go that far. What I believe, I can share with you that, that I believe those that are most focused on helping people, those that are most focused on the customer and helping them do what they need to do and solve their pain points, that those that understand those struggles the most will be the most competitive. And those that are focused on their customers and understand those nuances will never be commoditized because they will shift to the next pain point in the value chain. They will continue to solve problems higher up in the system, whether that be orders or items or locations or other unclear next generation opportunities. And that's the point is to continue to reinvent yourself and continue to understand how you could be of deeper servitude as you continue to solve the problems of the past.
0: So as Square has made this you know, super convenient from what we heard at the beginning, could you talk to our listeners about what were some of the major hurdles that Square faced on the way and how did you think about them? How did you solve them? We'd love to hear what they were.
1: Hurdles of the past. (laughs) I don't know if I have a long answer for you here. And I don't know if that's being forward-looking individual versus the past obviously there was you know a lot of change within financial the financial industry the ability to make a lot of these things self serve the ability to eliminate the need for dedicated purpose built expensive hardware that you can get started for free the ability to start and stop by simply downloading an application and choosing to use us or not using us and not requiring a monthly fee i think there's a lot of first there. Again, transforming complex pricing and payments inside baseball into a pretty transparent flat rate, and then providing that data set into a square dashboard where sellers can actually understand and command their business. I think that was all groundbreaking in the day. And so maybe I struggle with the answer because it is now real. And we hope to bring that reality to more sellers that are currently not serviced at that level. And we're very much focused in trying to figure out how to reach those sellers or how to bring forth the next set of changes, whatever it may be.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like there was, you know, massive white space there that nobody had thought of filling before that. Yeah so let's let's jump into the future you know from the past that we just talked about do you see you know as you think about simplifying this process do you see a consolidation in the parties at the back end do you see this becoming a single interface where there aren't all these you know networks and payment processors and and you know so many steps that you have to go through to get this transaction through
1: there will be changes you know some cliche quote of the only constant life is change. And I firmly believe that. I firmly believe in a growth mindset. And I definitely know there are some very interesting technologies on the forefront, whether that be artificial intelligence or machine learning or distributed systems, whether that be blockchain or, or whatever implementation. There are things that will be learned and things that will happen. I would stop short of trying to attempt at how those pieces will come together and whether it will be a consolidation or a decentralization of competition. But as I alluded to in an earlier comment, you know, one of the individuals that I have read a lot on is, is Amazon and Bezos about the focus on the customer. And again, I think this is part of Square's DNA is really understanding who we serve and I think that frames that landscape changes. Potential consolidations and emerging technology are really simply instruments to be monitored and to utilize to the extent that they can help us be better at understanding and servicing our sellers. So if machine learning and and data science allows us to drive more insights about what our sellers are looking for or triggers on their behalf to make recommendations of what their buyers are looking for, whatever it may be, I feel like these are not trends that own us. These are trends that we are simply tools for us to render for our sellers. And so I guess the the TLDR, if you will, is I don't want to try to look into a crystal ball of what will happen. I will openly embrace, there will be changes to be curious and to embrace those changes, but then to utilize them in a way that is productive for those that we serve, which is our sellers.
0: So you talk about your customers and you know, taking the customer lens here, you know, as as you look at the end consumer, people want a more seamless and consistent experience through all the channels they use, whether it's offline and online. So I'm curious, you know, how is Square thinking about in the next couple of years or a little more distant in the future as to making this experience even more streamlined or even more simpler from an omni-channel perspective for the customer? And do you think it will be affected by, you know, technologies like cryptocurrencies coming into the picture?
1: Yeah, again, I uh, will share what I I know and state principles on what I don't. So what I know is that many individuals in the days and weeks and years to come will become sellers. They would like to render a good or service and they are not going to discriminate on where those buyers may be. It could be a pop up shop. It could be a physical brick and mortar store. It could be through a dedicated online store. It could be through Facebook. It could be through, you know, an Etsy marketplace. So, you know, sellers want to sell. And I think unfortunately right now that what seems like an obvious statement, there is no obvious solve. It's a little bit of a diaspora of implementations to, you know, to satisfy the problem statement. And so just as we made the act of accepting credit cards in the physical world, simple, straightforward, elegant, we see an incredible opportunity to do that on behalf of a seller across multiple channels, or as you alluded to, omni-channel. So one of the things that we have definitely done here is we did announce the acquisition of Weebly, which is a very popular website and online store offering, and we'll be working with them and many of our other teams to integrate them into the Square experience in a way where, you know, selling anywhere and allowing sellers to meet their buyers wherever they choose, whether that's virtually or in person, is possible.
0: Well, that's that's very great for the entrepreneurs and us listening to this to hear. Well, thank you so much, David. This was really useful. And I'm sure our listeners got a lot out of it as well. Thank you for taking your time. And we hope we'll have you back soon with more exciting news. <laughs>
1: Yes, I would love to. And and thank you for the opportunity to share a little bit about the the Square story and a little bit about my opinions and points of view and uh, hopefully some of it was helpful or insightful to those listening.
0: Mm -hmm. Thanks, David.
1: All right, cheers.